This is Deray Alalia, and you're listening to episode 2323 of the Before the Millions podcast. Cowabunga! Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now, your host, DeRay Olalaye. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another installment. I'm super glad to have you guys back on this episode. We are interviewing a highly successful entrepreneur in the digital marketing space. His name is Chris Daly, guys, and his story is amazing. He literally started his own company in the digital marketing space with the ultimate goal of achieving lifestyle design. He reached that goal with a small company of very few employees and started to look towards making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And lo and behold, an opportunity presented itself to him for him to merge his company with another company, Disruptive Advertising, and literally take his vision and his dreams and his goals to the next level. It was amazing, guys. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. His story is truly inspirational. And he teaches us, us a lot about conversions. He teaches us a lot about how to how to get our websites to convert better, where to get traffic from, where to start getting leads from. I mean, this, this information is so relatable across all industries, regardless of what you do and what your client base is. I think that in the 21st century, we all have websites and our websites should serve a main purpose, which is drawing clientele, making more people aware of what you do, selling your products, just basically bringing about awareness, regardless if that's a digital product, a physical product, a coaching service, an actual, you know, physical on the ground, I'm coming to see you service, whatever it is, guys, I think that we all have websites and we all want to make sure that our websites are performing at its highest and best use. So we're going to learn a lot today, guys. This episode is one of our more lengthier episodes with lots of great information to really take advantage of. So I'm not going to hold us up any longer, guys. Let's get into the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. So during Hurricane Harvey, one of the properties that I own in Houston received major damage and I needed to start calling around for quotes to get our roof fixed. And I called about six different roofing companies just to get quotes and kind of compare prices and decide which company to go with. And out of the six that I called, two picked up the phone. Two companies, guys. Now, this tells me one thing. Everybody's in business to make money. Everybody's in business to get more leads so that they can make money. I mean, that's the goal. So if your number one way to revenue is to pick up the phone, that should be your top priority. And that's and you should never not pick up the phone. So for two out of the six companies that I called to have picked up the phone or even given me a call back, I thought that was crazy. And they always say, you know, good, good contractors, good handyman, good work is always hard to find. And I'm experiencing that now. So even out of the two, I scheduled appointments with both of them and one company stuck to their scheduled appointment and the other company did not stick to their scheduled appointment. Not only that, but they didn't call me to let me know that they were no longer coming. So I ended up calling them the day after their appointment and asked them what happened. And he apologized and told me that they didn't get around to it, but he didn't really provide a a valid excuse. So he said that they would come out in the next few days, they would come out over the weekend on Saturday. And I said, okay, I'll let you guys still come out and, you know, give me a quote and see if we can do business. And 
they ended up coming out the next day, even though they told me they would come out on Saturday. So I wasn't expecting them the next day. I was expecting them on Saturday. And yet and still, you know, they're not doing what they said that they would do, which was okay that they came out, but it was just not what we discussed. So again, it's, you know, kind of them just going off of a whim. And after the guy came out, he told me that he's not the owner and he has no say so as far as what the price would be, because again, I called them out to give me a quote. And he said that the owner would be calling me back based on his findings. The guy who came out, the owner would be calling me back and giving me a quote. And I was just like, man, like this is a this is a real bottleneck type situation in that, you know, this this guy has came all the way out and I'm supposed to get a quote and he can't even he doesn't even have the authority to give me a quote. He has to wait until the owner reviews the file and and gives me a quote. So he said that the owner would give me a call sometime that afternoon after he reviewed the file. And it's been a few days since that guy has came out and I have received no call from the owner. So again, they're finding every way in the book to lose a lead as if they do not want to make money. And I understand that, you know, we're in a situation in Houston in which there's a ton of business right now because of the hurricane. And it would be who of you as a business owner to be able to capitalize on that efficiently rather than, you know, thinking that you're too busy or that you can't you can't give good customer service because your your plate is full as is. I think that this is an opportunity for small businesses to grow. And the way this particular business is operating, they they're not seizing the opportunity to grow. They're not seizing the opportunity to expand. You know, I think that they're so overwhelmed with the amount of work on their plate that they're letting a lot of people slip through the cracks. Whereas what they need to do is refine their system. They need to, you know, either hire a virtual assistant that picks up every single phone call. They need to hire a project manager. They they need to do something to kind of reel in a lot of this lost revenue because right now they're doing super bad. So just kind of giving you guys the lay of the land, out of the six companies that I called, only one company came out and did exactly what they said that they would do. So that's crazy. Guys, if you're able to to capitalize on systems, if you're able to even just hire a virtual assistant to help you with the initial contact with your leads or with your customers or with your clients, that can really go a long way. So just another tip of the week. And now your feature presentation. Today, I'd like to welcome Chris Daly to the show. Hey, Chris, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me on today. Chris is a digital marketing entrepreneur and the vice president of Disruptive Advertising. Chris, I hear that you can teach our listeners today how to get their website and their emails to perform better and convert at a higher rate. Is that right? (laughs) I hope so. That's what I do. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll get into that. But first, Chris, let's take it back. Let's hop in the time machine. Let's get to know you a little bit better. Who was Chris and how did you first begin your journey? Well, so the funny thing is I was, I was talking to my mom the other day and growing up, I was probably one of the least inclined to work. So I was a really lazy kid growing up. I sat around playing video games all the time. That was kind of my life. My mom shared with me and some of my siblings, she thought I was the least likely to succeed in our family. So <laughs> so I, I did not grow up kind of a, a hungry entrepreneur right from the get-go. So I first kind of discovered my passion when I was still in college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in college. I was going for a business degree, which means I, you know, I had no clue what I wanted to do. That's when I discovered digital marketing. And what was exciting to me about that was the idea that I could influence people's decisions online. The fact that I could change the way that people behaved when they were, you know, searching on Google, making purchase decisions on websites, those kinds of things. And for some reason, you know, that, that had never occurred to me as a potential career path before, but that just got me excited. And you know, I kind of discovered a passion that I had there and, and a fire was lit within me. You know, but even even when I very first got into the digital marketing space, I had no clue that I was going to start a business at that point. I was really just kind of looking for uh, for a way to make money, looking for uh, my place in the world. It wasn't until probably six years after I, I got into the digital marketing space that my wife and I kind of started tossing around the idea of starting a company. You know, we had a lot of people that were coming to me asking me for advice, for help, you know, getting their websites to convert, that kind of stuff. 
and I, I sat down with a couple of mentors of mine and, and, you know, asked them, Hey, should I maybe start a business on the side? You know, what, what should I, what should I do? And I got some really great advice from quite a few different people. And, you know, one of the pieces of influential advice was, Chris, if you're going to do this, you need to do it. You need to set some very specific goals for yourself. You need to give, be willing to give this six to 12 months and have some very specific milestones in place and say, if I haven't hit those milestones by whatever, eight months, 12 months, then I'm willing to walk away. But you need to be willing to jump ship and, and do this and really give yourself a chance to succeed. And so, you know, I think it was close to five years ago that I, I jumped ship. I started my company and and so it's been a wild ride ever since. Chris, that's amazing. So you started in the workforce and you were there for about six years in the exact space that you wanted to be in. What skills were you picking up during that time that prompted you to want to start your own business? So my first job was in search engine optimization. That's all about getting websites to rank on Google. You know, this is, again, just really a technical skill. Well, so the funny thing is, I don't think I really developed any skills that were actually necessary to run a business until I started <laughs> my business. I picked up a lot of technical skills. So one of them obviously was search engine optimization. I ended up after doing about three years of search engine optimization, I was in-house for a company who was managing their their search engine optimization. We were we were getting some really great rankings on Google. We were getting a lot of traffic. But I had a meeting, I sat down with my boss and I think the CEO at the time and and we were trying to figure out how much money we had made from all this traffic we were getting. And the more we dug into the analytics, the more we realized, you know what, we're actually not really making much money. Most of this traffic we're getting isn't converting. What do we do? And I had no idea what to do about that problem. I just knew that, you know, if we didn't find a way to monetize that traffic, I was probably going to lose my job. And so I did some research on Google. I discovered the idea of A-B testing on your website and doing conversion rate optimization, that kind of stuff. And so we figured, what the heck, let's try it out. You know, ran a test on one of our pages that was getting a lot of traffic and our conversion rate started going up. And so, you know, that's kind of where I discovered conversion rate optimization, which is where I, I ultimately ended up starting my company was, was a you know conversion rate optimization agency. And so again, when I started my business, I... All I had was technical skills. I was your classic e-myth entrepreneur that just had some skills, but no, I was definitely not a business owner or manager at that point. Okay. So you went in really, really wet behind the ears and you just decided to go for it. How did you first start? What are some of the challenges that you faced when you first started your business and how were you able to grow and expand from there? Yeah. So there's a couple of experiences I distinctly remember. So my first is I started out with one client. I had one client that, you know, from my previous job, I had developed a relationship and, and gotten some interest from a, a prospective client. So when I started my business, they, they were my first client. And I remember after, it was probably, I don't know, a week after I had started my company, you know, I'm working out of my house and I came out after a full day of, you know, quote unquote work. And I had just been working on this one client all day long. And when I <laughs> had a discussion with my wife and my wife says, so have you gotten any new clients yet? And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I haven't even been looking. And that's when it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, oh, maybe I need to be, yeah, I, I guess I probably should be doing something to find new clients. So, you know, one challenge I had was just recognizing that business isn't just going to fall into my lap, you know, surprise, surprise. And when that really sank into me was when that first client, so it was, I don't know, two months into working with this, with this client, we had, you know, so what I was doing for my agency, I was running tests for companies on their websites to try to improve conversion rates. Well, about two months in, a few of our tests didn't work. So they quote unquote failed. And at that time, I wasn't really prepared with how to handle that kind of an experience. I hadn't really set very clear expectations with my clients. That was something I didn't know anything about was setting expectations. So when those tests failed, I didn't really know what to do. And the client, of course, wasn't happy because they had expected that just everything was going to work and they were going to make tons of money, which they ultimately did. But it was at that point where I went, oh my gosh. I failed. They're going to cancel. I don't know what to do. I don't have any other clients. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and get a job. I don't want to do that. And so, you know, those, those were a couple of things that I was confronted with these challenges that I wasn't prepared to face. I wasn't prepared to face, you know, what happens when things go wrong in a client relationship? How do I 
how do I salvage those? I, you know, I didn't know how to have those kind of hard conversations with clients. And so what do you do when a client's really angry? What do you do when you haven't been meeting your client's expectations or when you haven't really set expectations at all? How do you recover from that? And so I had to learn by sad experience. And then once I had that experience, I was able to go and find other people who had been through these experiences and ask, how do you deal with these challenges when you have a client that's unhappy or when you haven't set very clear expectations? How do you go back and set expectations after the fact? How do you, how do you save a client relationship when it's in jeopardy? And then figuring out how do I make sure I keep getting clients so that you know if I do lose this client, I need to make sure that I've got a good pipeline. And so I had to learn sales. I had to learn you know, marketing myself. I had to learn, obviously, critical relationship skills. Those were things, none of which I was prepared for when I started my business, but they were you know, things that I, I feel now I've, I've had several years to really dig in and work on those. And I'm still not perfect in those areas, but those are, I think, areas that, that almost every entrepreneur struggles with. It's kind of like being an owner and being the cook in the kitchen because as a solo entrepreneur, you're wearing so many hats. And as you said, you know, you're focused on A-B testing, you're focused on helping your client, but while you're doing that, and while a lot of entrepreneurs are doing whatever it is that they're doing in their business, they're no longer focused on leads, they're no, no longer focused on their business and and focused on getting more clients. So it's it's kind of like either you're, you're getting clients or, or you're servicing the clients that you have as a solo entrepreneur, and you found that you need to find a way to be more well-rounded and, and to be able to do all of that at the same time. What kind of challenges did you face? Did those challenges prompt you to bring in more people? or create better systems to be able to handle everything yourself? How did that transition progress to grow your business? Yeah, I'll tell you a couple things. So first is just kind of a general skill that I had to develop. So as I'm facing all these challenges and I'm trying to push myself to keep a sales pipeline filled and, and make sure that I'm out there marketing while I'm also executing for clients and figuring out you know, all, all these different pieces. I remember several days of just feeling completely overwhelmed, just feeling, what did I get myself into? Can I do this? All kinds of things like that. And I, I remember getting to the end of days, just wanting to collapse in my bed. My wife wants to spend time with me. I have kids, you know, that want to spend time with me. And I just remember not wanting anything to, you know, do with my family because I'm so like mentally and emotionally exhausted. And I remember a few days where it just hit me. I'm like, what am I doing this for? Like if I, if I don't have the, the energy, the capacity to spend time with my family, like why am I doing this? Like, that's why I want to create a good living for myself. That's why I want to, to me, a good lifestyle is not just making good money, but being able to enjoy my life. And so one of the skills that I had to pick up that, that I felt like really helped me was, was meditation. Meditation helped me to be able to process everything that was happening to me as an entrepreneur. And especially early on when I was totally unprepared and unequipped to handle all of those challenges, it helped me to be able to process, be able to let go of and not carry around these burdens with me all day. And just kind of, I, I, I call it like the garbage disposal, you know, like getting rid of all the junk that piles up throughout the day and, and being able to go, all right, I'm walking away from that and, and I'll come back and I'll deal with it tomorrow. So that was one thing. But you asked a couple of really good questions that I think are a major struggle for new entrepreneurs, which is, when do you hire people? When do you create processes? That kind of thing. Because obviously your time is limited. And if you hire somebody on, that's a huge time investment. You've got to train those people while you continue to execute for your clients, while you continue to fill your pipeline. And what positions do you start with? These are some of the big questions that I toyed around with for a long time. Should I hire someone for sales so that I can focus on fulfillment? Should I hire people for fulfillment so I can focus on sales? What's really going to help me the most? And, you know, I got a lot of advice around this. I talked to a lot of different entrepreneurs that wasted a lot of money hiring either the wrong people or the wrong positions. And people ask me, well, what is your biggest strength? Like, where do you feel like you are going to be the most value to your business? And that was a hard question for me to answer. Not because I felt like I'm just so good at everything because I wasn't great at sales, but I did a great job selling because I was selling more than anything, I was selling my expertise. And I didn't know if someone else would be able to do that as well as I could. But then, of course, I look at the fulfillment aspect and I go, well, they're buying 
you know, early on in my business, they're buying me. And so if I have someone else fulfilling, they're not getting my expertise. And so it was a real conundrum for me for a while. And so I actually ended up starting out with hiring for fulfillment. So I could focus primarily on sales just because, you know, I was selling something that was fairly technical in nature. And I felt like it would be a real challenge to, to train someone if that was the first position I was, I was training for. And I also wanted to make sure that if I did hire a salesperson and they just crushed it and they blew business out of the water, we got 10 clients in one week. If it was just me doing the fulfillment, I wouldn't be ready to handle that kind of demand. And so I wanted to make sure that I had the processes and the expertise in place so that if we just had a a ton of new clients come in, I had the system to fulfill that. So I focused on creating some processes training those processes to a couple of employees. And I actually hired on my brother was one of my first few employees. I still have a picture of us working in our backyard. And it was during the summertime. And he and he said, Hey, if we're working out in the backyard, I'm going to catch a tan. So he took his shirt off and (laughs) sitting in the back chair on a lawn chair with his shirt off working. (laughs) So that was kind of fun. But yeah, so I focused on building out some good processes, making sure that I was delivering consistent quality service to to my clients. And then I turned and and looked more at growing the sales. Let's fast forward a little bit further along your journey. And let's talk about now you're a little bit more established. And I believe that that you had a merger or that your company got merged. Kind of talk about that process and how that came about and what made you decide to, to go that route. So right around the time I started my business, I was looking for ways to find clients, right? And so I went to these different networking groups around the area. I mean, I'm in Utah, and so there's a lot of entrepreneurial networking groups. And I ended up meeting the owner of Disruptive Advertising, and he was focused on, his agency was focusing on PPC, you know, on driving traffic to websites. I was focused on converting traffic on websites. And so we saw that there was a really natural overlap there. And I went in and actually tried to pitch him on, I said, hey, why don't I do the conversion rate optimization for all of your clients and you can do the PPC for all my clients. Let's just more like kind of partner up. And, <laughs> and his response basically was, ah, no, thanks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to build that out for myself. And so he went and hired somebody. He tried to convince me to come over and work with Disruptive. And at that time, I was, I was fresh into starting my business. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to go and work for someone else. And so So I said no. So he ended up hiring someone else to try to build out basically a division of Disruptive that would do conversion rate optimization. Meanwhile, I went on and I built out my company, built out some processes and and started to to find success. Well, Disruptive had a really hard time getting this started. They didn't have an entrepreneur that was building this. It was just someone with expertise. It's hard to think entrepreneurially when you're working for someone else. (laughs) If you don't already have that entrepreneurial drive and spirit on your own, it's hard to develop that. Like I mentioned, I didn't have any of that entrepreneurial drive when I, even when I started my business, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about how to get new clients. I was really just focused on fulfilling for the one client I had. So they had trouble getting, getting it started. I was, you know, finding success and growing. And so about a year and a half later, Jake Badsgard and I, the owner of Disruptive, met back up and I we just went out to lunch. I was interested in hearing how things were going for him. And he said, Well, it actually hasn't been going well. And, you know, we've been trying to get this started. We haven't been able to figure it out. It's just not working. Would you be interested in discussing emergence? So at that point, there were a couple of things that I had recognized. Number one was I was trying to figure out whether or not I wanted just a lifestyle business or whether I wanted to build out a company, right? And that's, I think, the dilemma that a lot of entrepreneurs have. And for the first year or so, I just wanted a lifestyle business. I just wanted to have a few clients and make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and and just be in a good spot. And after that first year, I recognized, you know what? Like, this is great, but I, I don't feel like I'm pushing myself. I don't feel like I am developing all of the skills that I could, I want to build something. I want to really build something that is bigger than just me. And I recognized that as I was doing the lifestyle business, I mentioned I was selling my expertise and I was selling people on working with me as the expert. And it's a challenge to get beyond you. And instead of selling yourself, selling your company. And so I was working on those challenges of how do I make this bigger than me? How do I 
get to a spot where I can go on vacation for a couple weeks and my business doesn't fall apart, right? And so it was really timely when my business and disruptive when we when we started having these conversations about a potential merger i had built out everything that disruptive needed and disruptive had an infrastructure they had already built out a sales team that was able to sell and they had built out a marketing platform you know they're ppc experts and so they were doing ppc for themselves and they had really dialed that in and so they had a lot of things that i felt like i could probably develop those on my own but it'll probably take me maybe two years to get that stuff really figured out and get that in place. And so to me, this opportunity came about at the right time. It was the right opportunity. And, it, and I felt like it took me three steps forward in my, in my progression. I was able to skip over the two years of figuring things out, which you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will say, well, you missed out on a great opportunity to learn there. And maybe I did, but I was also able to, in this process, see how Disruptive you know, built these things out. And then apply my systems to disruptive so that I could take advantage of all these things they had built out. So yeah, I mean, for me, it was I went from having, you know, four employees to, you know, now at this point, we have in my division of the company, we've got 20, 25. And so it's grown exponentially. And my challenges have gone from how do I build something beyond myself to now it's oh my gosh, we've got something awesome figured out. We've got the right people. We've got a sales process. We've got fulfillment process. How do we just pour gasoline on this fire and keep it growing as fast as possible? So it's been a great move for me. Briefly describe you know, what Disruptive does as a whole and your role on a daily basis. Yeah. So Disruptive, we're focused on really three main things. So number one is traffic acquisition. So getting the right traffic to our clients' websites. Second thing is converting that traffic. So running tests on the website to figure out what the audience wants to see when they get to your website. And then the third part is analytics. So really helping our clients have transparency into what's happening in their business. And so, you know, those are kind of the three foundational pieces. Obviously, I brought my main area of expertise is the conversion rate optimization. And so my kind of day-to-day role is, you know, I I manage the, the conversion rate optimization division of the company. So we have strategists that are working with clients and building out strategies. And they meet with me you know, on a weekly basis usually to really dig into the strategy, make sure, are we taking advantage of all the opportunities that we have? Are we providing amazing value for our clients? Are our relationships in a really good spot? You know, so that I think is about half of my role is making sure that we are that we're crushing it for our clients. And then the other half of my role is is the sales aspect. And so getting out there and promoting what we're doing. And especially, you know, one of the biggest ways that I do that is through, you know, speaking at conferences and those kinds of things. So, you know, getting out there, spreading our name disruptive and really helping people understand that they need this. One of the biggest challenges that I had when I was running, when I first started running my business is conversion rate optimization. What I was offering to people is not something that most businesses know that they need. A lot of other companies struggle with even PPC, even Disruptive's core offering. Most companies knew that they needed PPC. They need traffic. They need traffic. But in terms of conversion rate optimization, most businesses just think, if I'm not making enough money off my website, I just need more traffic. Most companies don't think about, I need to tweak my website. Or if they think about that, they think, I need to redesign my website. I just need to redesign it and get a fresh start. And so most companies aren't even aware that they can run small tests and learn things about their audience and refine and tweak their website. And so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is raising awareness that this is of how much value this can offer for for businesses. We work with a lot of both small and large companies. And many of our clients are seeing 10 to 20x ROIs on their on their conversion rate optimization on what we're doing for them. Just because if you can make a few small tweaks and get more value out of the traffic you're already getting to your site, it's a huge value add for a much smaller cost than it costs to, to get traffic to your website through PPC. And so anyways, I spend a lot of time doing that and you know, writing articles, just really spreading the message. 
I love that. So let's kind of get in, into the weeds of this. So we're talking about, you know, website, website design. We're talking about getting traffic to your website. You know, let's talk to the brand new entrepreneurs, Chris. And I often find that newer entrepreneurs who come in and they have this great idea or they want to sell this great product. They built this website. It's all fancy. It's nice. They have all their products or they have their, their whatever they have, their digital assets. And they kind of operate on the notion of if I build it, they will come. And that's often not the case or nine times out of 10, that's never going to be the case unless you just are in a super, you know, your SEO is, I don't know, out of this world, but you know, that's, that's not going to happen. So let's, let's talk to those, those entrepreneurs who are building their websites and they have this great idea that they, that they think is going to pan out. You know, what are the first steps after, after your website is officially built, you have your product or you have your message or whatever it is that you're selling. Is it time to go to Facebook and look at Facebook ads, Google, look at Google ads and kind of talk, talk us through that process. And then when, once we figure out how to draw traffic, maybe we'll talk about how to get conversions. Yeah. So there's two critical aspects when you're trying to make money off your website, whether you're trying to drive leads or whether you're trying to drive sales. We obviously do a lot of advertising for ourselves and that's lead generation. You know, We're trying to find new clients. So we're driving form conversions. We're driving those kinds of things. So the first thing is to really just figure out what are you looking for? So if you're selling a product, if you have an e-commerce company, Facebook is a no-brainer. You need to be on Facebook. You need to be running Facebook ads because you can get so granular with Facebook. You can really get deep into audience targeting, and that's a critical aspect of selling your products. Facebook's also a great platform for just building awareness around your products. And there's two things that you need to think about when you're driving traffic. Number one, where's the right place to find your traffic? So again, if you're trying to drive leads... Facebook may or may not be the best place for you. If you're in the B2B space, Facebook is a lot of times not the best place for you because a lot of people, and again, I'm, I'm kind of making some broad statements here. You want to try out some different, some different aspects and see what ultimately works. But a lot of times when people are on Facebook, they're not thinking business. They're, you know, they're in personal life mode. So Facebook, Instagram, those are people are, are typically not in a business mindset. And so Google or maybe even LinkedIn are, are some places that you really want to be thinking about advertising for. Again, if you're selling a product, you've got to be on Facebook. You probably want to be on Instagram running ads. And then the other thing that you want to think about is once you get someone to the site, if they don't convert, you want to make sure that you have a really good remarketing strategy in place. So, you know, at Disruptive, we spend, I don't know the exact breakdown, but we spend a large percentage of our ad spend on retargeting. Anybody who comes to our website, they're going to see our ads for days. And honestly, I can't tell you how many clients we get that come to us and say, I came to your site like two months ago and I keep seeing your ads everywhere and they're amazing. Like I want to work with you guys because I want you guys to help us do that for our business. And so, you know, once you've once you've paid money to get someone to your site, you want to make sure you take advantage of that, you know, and re remarketing is such a cheap way to get someone who's already expressed interest in your product to get them back to your site. So those are a couple of foundational pieces you want to make sure are in place. And you've thrown out some amazing terms out there. You've thrown out PPC, which is basically a paid advertising. You've thrown out B2B, which is business to business. Just want to clarify that for some of the listeners who don't know. Let's start with the very basics. So we've talked about how to get traffic to your site. And now let's get into your area of expertise. Let's talk about conversions. What is a conversion? What does a conversion mean to different businesses? And then you also mentioned retargeting and remarketing. So once you convert somebody to your site, but maybe you don't convert them fully or obtain their email address or have them as a buyer, Let's talk about retargeting and remarketing. How do you get into that to get that customer to come back and buy from you? So first, what is a conversion in, in different businesses? Yeah, so a conversion can be anything from you know getting someone to click on something on your site. So one of our clients is Social Media Examiner. They're a blog that does social media. They have like social media expertise on their blog. And so for them, a conversion is getting someone to subscribe to their blog. That's what they want. And so they have a variety of ways of getting people to subscribe to the blog. There's, you know, a widget on the side of their blog. There's a pop-up. They offer eBooks to try to get someone to convert or a variety of other ways. So for them, a conversion is just a subscriber. For some businesses, it might just be getting someone to click on or watch your video. And so that might be your conversion. For us at Disruptive, a conversion is getting someone to fill out a form on our website, you know, and then for like an e-commerce company, it's getting someone to buy your product. And so there's a variety of different things you can, you can classify as a conversion. And really, 
the important thing for, for businesses to think about is on any given page of my website, what do I want people to do? So on your home page, a conversion is probably getting someone to click into another page on your site, right? I always call the homepage like the gateway to your site. So your homepage, you want to get people to dive deeper. And so it's probably getting someone to click on a button or getting someone to click on your navigation. So each page on your site is probably going to have a different conversion metric. And so those are the important things to ask yourself. I can't tell you how many businesses we start working with and we'll take a look and their homepage usually gets the most traffic out of anyone on their site. And so we'll pull up the homepage and I'll say, okay, what do you want people to do here? And they go, oh, well, I mean, there's, you know, we, we offer so many things. I mean, there's so many things we want people to do. And it's just, it gets so complicated because if you offer more than one product or more than one service, it's like, well, I don't really know. It's, you know, it depends on who they are. You know, they might want this service or this service or this service. Maybe they want to read our blog. Maybe they want to whatever. And so that's one of the, the key foundational questions that's important to understand about your audience. And so that's one of, one of the areas where site testing can really come in if you want to figure out what should I be showing to my audience. On my homepage, I offer six different services. Should I be talking about all six of those or should I just feature one of them? You know, Because I know that the more things I show people, the more opportunity there is for them to be confused and to be distracted. And when people get confused and distracted, they don't convert. And so I want to figure out what the messaging is that I should use on this page. Or if I take them to a product page, I could either have them buy that product. I could have them view a related product. I could have them... There's a lot of different things that I could have them do. I could have them add it to their cart, or I could just have them go to checkout or save a product so they can come back and view it later. What do I want people to do on this page? So those are some of the critical questions that are important to ask. What is a conversion on each page of my site? And then you can start to dive into how do I get them to take that action, right? So that's that's one piece. What is the conversion? And then you asked about remarketing. So Chris, really quick, before we get into remarketing, because I feel like there's so much meat to cover with conversions. And it's funny, I was listening to a, a podcast the other day. I can't remember which one, but I was listening to the owner of ConvertKit and he was talking about something that I thought was pretty awesome. A lot of us, we, we tend to have these websites and I, I like to think of my websites or I like to try to gear my websites to not be websites anymore, but more so be funnels because websites are dead and you know you have all these options and people don't know where to go. So as website owners, as business owners, we have these websites that, that have tons of things being thrown at us at, at one time. And if, if you can focus, if you can, if you can literally segment, segment different people. So for instance, you're a real estate coach slash real estate investor, and you have a course for first time investors. If you can create your website in such a way that when they visit your website, they see that you're catering to them and they're first-time investors. And the reason that you know that they're first-time investors is maybe because you had an opt-in, an email opt-in that says, are you a first-time investor? Are you a seasoned investor? You know, so on and so forth. And you can cater your website to match their demographic or match their needs. I think that that would be amazing. The owner of a convert kit was talking about the other day that with what we can do with email segmentation. So, so say for instance, you know, you ask those questions with an opt-in form, what level do you invest at? Are you a first-time investor? Are you a, a seasoned investor looking to invest in, in large, multifamily, whatever the case may be? But based on whatever level they invest in, that's how the copy on the page would show up. That's how the offers would show up, just kind of based on that. And if we can do that similar to how we do that in email segmentation now, I think that'd be amazing. So it sounds like that's something that they're working on. I don't know if, you, if you've kind of even looked into that, being able to alter your website based on, on the actual demographic of the customer that's coming to it. You want to shed some light on that? You bet. So yeah, we do that all the time. And it is really interesting. In fact, for one of our clients right now, we are testing a different version of their website for returning customers versus new customers, right? Because somebody who's already been to your site and has already clicked on specific products, Amazon is the king of this. Once you go to Amazon and you start clicking on and you start buying products from them, they start showing you those kinds of products. They know what kind of products you like. And so they'll show you products you like. They send you emails saying, hey, you bought these kinds of books. Here's some other books that are like those. Amazon is fantastic at learning what you like and then personalizing your experience to them. And so, yes, that is something that we do a lot of. Now, what I I will caution newer entrepreneurs about is it can get really overwhelming when you start thinking about this and you go, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to have 50 different versions of my website. I need one for new visitors, for return visitors. I need people from, I need a version of my site for people from PPC and organic traffic and email traffic. 
ah, like it can get really overwhelming. And so I always recommend to new businesses or, or businesses that haven't tested before, just start with one version and you can get more and more sophisticated over time. Like when I start a, a testing program with a new client, we don't start by testing eight different versions of a, of a website. We start and we run the same test on the same page for all of their traffic. And then we start to split it, split out some segments based on the data. And so we'll say, hey, let's look at how your mobile audience viewed this page, like how, how your mobile audience converted here versus your de- desktop audience. Is it different? If it is, then maybe we need to have a different version of the page. But if it's not different, then let's not overcomplicate things here. You know, hey, we tested a few different images on your homepage. Look at this. Your social traffic liked this picture and your organic audience liked this picture better. Well, let's just let's just start splitting things from there, and so you can just take things one step at a time. But you don't need to overcomplicate things initially. Initially, just I suggest thinking about what is going to be the ideal experience for my average website visitor. Maybe my average website visitor is just a new visitor that's never been exposed to my product before. Great, let's cater the website to them, and then down the road we can look at if we need a, a more personalized version here. So yeah, those personalization options are fantastic and you can really you can really get some high conversion rates if you can personalize a site to what a, a person is looking for. And you can also get really lost in the weeds and get really confused and overcomplicated and lose your way. And so yeah, I always I always suggest start with the basics and, and build on that. I love that. I love that. I love that. So speaking on the basics, you know, let's let's get back to conversions. And I really want to have our listeners walk away with some actionable steps. So I'm going to describe what I believe is a good way to split test. And then you're going to go back and correct me and tell me exactly how we should split test starting out. But, you know, let's use Facebook ads for, for an example. You know, if you want to start running Facebook ads to your website and let's say the Facebook ad has an image, it has copy and it has a way for you or it has a demographic that you're targeting. So if you want to start running A-B split tests, which are basically, you know, testing or tweaking one thing, leaving everything else constant and, and seeing if that one thing will get you a higher conversion, whatever your conversion is. So we'll start with the actual ad image and you want to tweak the ad image. You want to, I don't know, make it blurry. You want to shift it, make it diagonal, whatever it is. You want to insert a whole new picture. You want to tweak just one thing. So we'll tweak the ad image and we'll run two different sites and we'll test and see which one converts better. From there, whichever one that converts better, we'll then use that ad image for our testing now, that one specific ad image, that one, and then we'll now move on to the copy and we'll tweak the copy and we'll run two different tests with, you know, copy A and copy B, whatever it says to kind of get you to convert and we'll see which one wins, wins out, leaving everything else constant. And then the best copy and the best ad image, we'll take that and then we'll test that against the demographics that we're drawing. So whatever you're you know, whatever you're you're using Facebook for, whoever whoever your target audience is in Facebook, we're gonna try to see if we can optimize that. We're gonna try to see if we can, you know, get more people to convert based on where we're drawing our, our people from, what pools we're drawing from. So again, we'll leave everything else constant. We have a, a winning image, we have winning copy, and now we're trying to get a winning audience. Would you say that's that's one of the best ways to split test and if not kind of fill in some of the gaps? Yes, that is fantastic. That's a beautiful summary. And one of the areas that a lot of people get lost in is what happens if I don't find something that works, right? So it's really easy to get discouraged when you start split testing. So you mentioned like testing two different images. Let's try a blurry image versus one that's not blurry. Well, what if, you know, if you test a blurry image, it doesn't work better. Then you're like, uh, okay, well, hey, I've got a picture of a, of a man in here. Let's try a picture of a woman. That doesn't work any better. It's really easy at that point to go, all right, well, I don't know what to do at this point. Um, and so it is, it's really important to do two things. So number one is to understand all of the things that you could test. So I usually, before any of my testing strategists here at Disruptive, before we start running any tests, it's really easy to go on and go, oh, I want to test this. I want to test this. Before you test anything, I like to outline all of the things we could test on a page. So, hey, there's a call to action button. There's there's content. There's images. There's the background. There's the banner. There's the there's the footer. There's the header. There's you know there's all these different things. So I like to identify all of the elements that you have. So if you're talking about an ad, you just mentioned some of the biggest ones. Let's talk about 
the image on the ad. Let's talk about the headline for the ad. Let's talk about the copy for the ad. Let's talk about the audience for the ad. So we've got four major things that we want to test here. And there's you can break each of those up into a lot of smaller things. But just to keep it simple, you've got four things. So you want to make sure that you start at the top, work on one. If you're not seeing any results, move to the next one. If you're not seeing results, move to the next one. You're eventually going to find something that starts to move the audience behavior. When you do that, it's important that every test is driven by a question. So this is where I I think a lot of people miss the mark is people will go, oh, well, I think this. I think that a picture of a man will convert better than a picture of a woman. So then you test that and it doesn't work. and You go, well, all right, that didn't work. And you move on. Instead of your business question being, what kind of image should we show? Right. If your business question is, what kind of image should we show? And you test a picture of a man versus a picture of a woman and the picture of the man converts better, then you go, okay, well, now I know something. I know that I should use a picture of a man. You learned something from that test instead of just going, I don't know, I tested the idea that I had and it didn't work, right? So I go, okay, I know that a picture of a man works better. Now let's test, okay, so we still want to know what kind of image works best. Should we have a picture of a man with a shirt on or a shirt off, you know, like whatever it is, like, you know, you start just really digging in and refining and refining. Then every single test is going to be a success because you're learning something every time. And so if you're able to identify all the things you could test and then make sure that every test has a question that you're trying to investigate, if you're talking about content, how much content should we have? How should we format the content? Should we talk about, you know, like what kind of language should we use in the content? Should we use really action-oriented? Should we use pain points? Should we talk about value propositions and benefits? There's all kinds of stuff. So anyways, those are a few thoughts that I have there. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So so now we, we've talked about, you know, you have your website. We've talked about how to get traffic. We've talked about how to better convert that traffic by split testing. And now we're going to move on to retargeting. So retargeting and remarketing. And I'll briefly, just because I want you to cover, I want you to cover retargeting and, and remarketing from, I guess, from a PPC standpoint or an SEO standpoint. So I'll cover it really quick from an email standpoint. I have a high-end retail store and we sell, we sell furniture. And if somebody does an action on my site, as if they're about to leave the site, there's an exit pop-up that pops up and says, hey, if you want 15 or 20% off next time you visit, you know, enter your email. So now I've been able to obtain their email and I can remarket to them. I can I can email them when whenever we have sales. I can email them whenever I think that, you know, or Black Friday is coming up. I can email them for Black Friday, things like that. So that's how, you know, that's one way to retarget or remarket, you know. So let's talk about retargeting and remarketing from a PPC standpoint. What are ways to do that? I know you, there's Facebook is, is, is famous for retargeting and remarketing. So maybe cover that. Yeah. So both Facebook and Google AdWords are very, very similar. So retargeting, all all we're really talking about when we're retargeting. So you mentioned email. Once you get someone's email address, you can keep hitting them with offers. So with Facebook, what you're talking about is once someone has come to your site, if you set up retargeting inside of Facebook, they'll give you just a pixel that you put on your site. It's just a little line of code that you put on your site so that once someone comes to your website, Facebook is going to put a cookie on their computer. They're basically going to just tag that person so they know that they've been to your website. And then if you have retargeting set up inside of Facebook, you can go, okay, anybody who's been to my site who has that Facebook pixel on there, we want to keep showing them ads. So we want to show them ads everywhere they go. So we want to show them ads on Facebook. We want to show them ads, you know, on Facebook, it's primarily on Facebook. So as they're browsing through, they keep seeing your brand. They keep seeing stuff on your brand. So you can say, okay, if someone comes to my website and I sell clothes, you know, I'm going to remarket to them with our discounts, or I'm going to remarket to them with our latest styles or whatever, like winter styles are coming up. So we want to make sure that we start showing them ads for coats or whatever start following them around. And what it does is it really just heightens their awareness. It, it increases their brand awareness since they've already been exposed to your brand. And then they start seeing your stuff everywhere. It keeps it fresh in their mind because if someone came to your site and they didn't buy, it may be because they didn't like your website or it may just be because they weren't ready to buy right then. And so remarketing is a powerful way to keep it in front of them so that whenever they're ready to buy, It's right there in front of their face. They don't need to go back and search on Google again and find your website or maybe find one of your competitors and get lost again. So so yeah, retargeting is, is a really powerful way to, again, someone's expressed interest in your product. 
All you need to do is just put that little line of code on your website. You can start showing ads to all of those people who have been to your site. And you get to set, you know, you get to set some limits around that. Like, I only want to show them ads for a week or I want to show them ads for a month. At Disruptive, we're pretty liberal. We we follow people around. I don't think we've set any limits on on how many times we're gonna <laughs> remarket to people. And so we're pretty, we're pretty aggressive. You can set some limits and parameters on that. And the one other major benefit of doing doing this this kind of advertising of, of remarketing to people who've been to your site is it's much cheaper than getting new people to your site. So the clicks on average are I mean they're 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 just much cheaper than getting a new click to your website. So it's cheaper taking advantage of, of money you already spent to get someone to your website and you already know that they are interested in your product so you're keeping it fresh and relevant. So it's super powerful. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial, and one free book as soon as you sign up. So if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you the world's longest-running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? So I think the book that's been the most influential to me is The 4-Hour Workweek. I'm sure people talk about this all the time with Tim Ferriss. He talks a lot about lifestyle design in there, which is something that I know... You talk about a lot with the Before the Millions listeners. But one of the things that I really like in that is really thinking about what you want to accomplish out of life. It was influential for me to, to understand that I don't just want a lot of money. Like, what do I want? Why do I want a lot of money? Well, I want to develop myself personally. I want to learn lots of things. I want to experience lots of cool things. And I don't need to wait until, until I have $10 million in the bank to start having cool experiences and start learning things. And so that's one of the chapters that was really powerful to me is identifying what are some things I want to learn? What are some things I want to experience? And how can I start doing that now? I love that. I love that. That's actually one of my favorite books. So I'm glad that you recommended that book. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? It can be a business app or tool. I don't use a ton of apps, to be honest. I think the one that I use the most often is Slack. I don't know that I could live without Slack. Just it's pretty foundational to how we run our business because we will just set up different Slack groups for different clients and then it becomes a really easy way for us for you know at disruptive to communicate internally and collaborate on strategies to talk about, you know, to project manage and to just be more effective. So I I, I think that's probably the one I use the most. Love it, love it, love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? This kind of goes back to the four hour work week. So, I mean, my lifestyle right now is self care is really important to me. So, I define self care as taking care of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so, you know, spiritually can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But, you know, for me, it is making sure that I am making an impact in the world, that I'm making a difference in the world, that I am living the morals that I believe in, that I am being a man that has integrity, you know, and that, and those kinds of things. So those are some things, you know, that are important to me, like, you know, self-care physically and, and emotionally. I mentioned meditation is one of those. I also am a huge believer in, you know, developing talents. So finding things that you're passionate about in life and developing those. One of the, <laughs> this is kind of a funny one, but I've never had any kind of artistic ability at all. Like nothing. I can't, I can't draw a stick figure even that looks decent. My little four-year-old daughter can draw better than I can. But my wife bought me for Father's Day this last year, my wife bought me this Bob Ross painting starter kit. And I it, at first I, I kind of laughed. I thought it was like this gag gift, but it was like a $200 gag gift. So I was like, okay, well, I, I guess I better try this thing out. And you know what? Like in the last six months, it's become a major, like 
it's something I get super excited about every week. Like, you know, I'm not churning out like museum quality masterpieces, but like I did a painting and it looked halfway decent. And that to me was like, wow, I've never had like a creative outlet before. And so that's become like a talent of mine that I really care about developing. It's something I get excited about. It's something I enjoy. And so for me, that's self-care. That's something that I'm developing a talent. I love myself because I love these things about me. I don't care if anybody else ever sees my paintings, but like I enjoy doing it. And so that's something that's really important to me in terms of lifestyle design is that I'm excited about the life I'm living. I love that so much. Well put together, Chris. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? There's been a lot of sacrifices. I think the ones that have been the biggest to me that I didn't want to make when I first started my my business were getting rid of, I call them innocent time wasters. So things like video games, like I mentioned, I was a big video gamer growing up. And so games on my phone, video games, like anything like that are, are things that I could easily waste 20, 30, 40 hours a week on. And, you know, I'm not saying that people shouldn't play video games. I still love playing video games, but it's really important to me that I have some very firm boundaries with myself around how long and when I will will engage in those kinds of things. Because like I said, for me, in a large way, it's a way for me to just disconnect. You know, it's like, I'm feeling stressed out. I want to go play a video game. But when I do that, when I use video games in that way, I'm not dealing with my problems. I just let them build up. You know, I have these stresses about work. I have a client that's upset and they've sent me an email and it's just sitting in my inbox and I know it's going to be a pain to, to deal with and I know it's going to piss me off to, to read it and respond to it. So I just let it sit in my inbox and I'm like, oh, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll, I'm just going to play a video game now and and just, you know, quote unquote, relax. But I don't feel any better after I do that. And so things like that, just innocent time wasters, ways that I just kill time or, you know, like binging on Netflix, like that's a way that really great way to waste a ton of time. So again, you know, I'm definitely not like condemning people that watch Netflix or play video games. I still do both of those things, but it's, it is so critical for me that I am, that I'm rigorous with myself and that I hold myself accountable for how I'm using these things and making sure that I'm productive before I use those things to kind of relax and check out. So those are some big sacrifices to me. I actually deleted all the games off my phone about a year ago and I haven't put any on since. And that was a big sacrifice for me, believe it or not, that that has been, I, I feel like has made me more productive. I love that. I love that. And I definitely believe that I actually told our audience on the last episode to delete all their apps, all their games, everything, and do not add them back until you absolutely need them. And we'll find that we'll be able to eliminate a lot of the clutter in our lives. And there will be apps that we won't just go to because we see them in our phone. So that's amazing. Love that. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? There have been a lot of people there's one that, that immediately comes to mind, and it's now a very good friend of mine. His name's Mark Mabry. So I actually met him. It was really serendipitous series of events. So I was flying home. I grew up in Arizona. I flew down to Arizona for like my high school reunion or something. And on my way home, you know, I went by myself and I was sitting next to a mother and and her, I don't know, like four-year-old son. He was around the same age as my daughter and and he was asking his mom for candy. And she was like, oh, I don't have any cash with me. I can't buy candy right now. And I'm like a junk food junkie. And so I always have just like a stash of candy in my bag. And so I like pulled out a bag of Skittles. I'm like, hey, I have candy here. Like I'm not trying to be creepy or anything, but like if, if you know, I know my daughter wants candy. Like if you want these Skittles, you know, your son can have them. And so she sa- said, thank you. And anyways, we kind of got to talking a little bit. She mentioned that her husband worked for a nonprofit organization called Operation Underground Railroad, who they actually go out and rescue children that have been abducted for sex trafficking. So like really, really intense, serious stuff. And that resonated a lot with me because I have kids, you know, I've got a daughter, you know, I have two daughters now. And at the time I had one daughter, but that resonated with me. So I wanted to meet him and see if I could get involved somehow. 
So I met him. Anyways, long story short, we ended up building a, a great, really close relationship. We worked together. I volunteered some time to work with the Operation Underground Railroad people. And that was, I don't know, three years ago. And since then, we've become really close friends. He's referred a ton of clients over to me. You know, I've referred a lot of opportunities to him. And it's just become, you know, our motto at Disruptive Advertising is results-based relationships. And that is probably one of my best results-based relationships. We, it, the relationship started out with just genuine interest in, in helping each other out and helping each other get results in ways that are meaningful in each other's lives. And it's just built and, and like I said, it's become a really influential relationship in my life. Love it, love it, love it. I especially love how you guys were able to connect. That's so random and that, you know, those are right. opportunities lie. So that's amazing. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Again, I think there's a ton of answers to this. I think for me, the biggest thing that I had to be willing to do, like I had to be willing to let go of my pride, you know, as, as, a, as a person. There's a lot of things I mentioned, like video games for me was like I had convinced myself that they were not hurting my productivity, that they were not hurting my success as a, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a person in life. I just didn't want to give that up, you know, and I was like, I'll do anything, but I won't get rid of, I won't get rid of that. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day. He was mentioning, he was feeling kind of stuck in life. And I asked him, do you feel like you would be willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to overcome some of these challenges in your life? Like, Whatever that is, if that means no more dating, if that means, you know, like whatever it is for a period of time in order to in order to overcome these challenges. And he said, yeah, I'd be willing to do whatever it takes, but I'm not getting rid of my dirt bike. And I just laughed and I was like, it's interesting that, that he went there. And that's, I think, what I would just challenge people to to look at in their lives is when I say, would you be willing to give up anything in your life? What is the one thing that your mind goes to when you're like, yeah, I'd be willing to give up anything except not that. Right. And that may be. And, and again, I'm not saying that you have to get rid of that. I'm not saying you have to completely give it up in your life. But I think it's important for entrepreneurs to be willing to get to the place where they're where, where they are willing to give up whatever they need to in their life in order to overcome their challenges, in order to find success, and in order to progress as a person. So if you feel like something's holding you back, you need to do something about it. You need to not just say, oh, I'll just deal with this, with this thing, and I'll, I'll deal with it later. Love it, love it, love it. And you know, you ask, what is that one thing that you're not willing to give up? And there's all, there's this one thing that just your mind automatically goes to, and that's that's most likely the thing that you may you may need to you know part ways with. But again, it's kind of understanding yourself and understanding your situation. So I love that, Chris. This this has been amazing. We've been able to walk through your before the millions journey and learn so much about you. And after learning about you, we're able to learn some actual things to implement in our businesses and our website. So I thank you for that. We talk about lifestyle design on the show and you've been able to afford yourself the lifestyle that you've always wanted and that's amazing you've been able to we've walked with you literally through your college days and, and when you first started your business to, to when you did that merger and you had a decision to make and I, and I know that I told you that was the last question but you had a decision to make Chris and it was like do I want to make a couple hundred thousand a year doing what I love and, and having this this lifestyle design or do I want to really be a part of something do I want to build something do I want to grow something still doing what I love but being a part of something much, much more bigger. And that goes back to exactly what you want in life and how you choose to chase those goals. So I think that's amazing. And going back to making that decision, what is a key question you think that we should ask ourselves, you know, if, we're, if we find ourselves in a position like that? For me, it was important. Like I said, when I first started my business, I was in a place where I just wanted a lifestyle business. And so I, I don't think I knew this and I don't think I would have known this until I went through the process of starting to build out a company and training people and hiring people and falling on my face several times. But I think for me, it, I had to really dig in and figure out what gives me fulfillment in life. You know, this is, I, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar the other day, which was awesome. And that was one of the things that Tony Robbins dug into. There's lots of different things that can give people fulfillment in life. And it's important to dig beyond the surface. So, you know, if I ask my buddy who mentioned his dirt bike is, he thinks it's his fulfillment in life. I would ask yourself why over and over and over again until you really dig down to the essence of why certain things bring you enjoyment and joy in life. And so, you know, why do you like your dirt bike? 
Well, I like it because I, I feel free. I get to get out in nature. You know, that's an interesting point right there because you go, oh, well, okay, is it you like getting out in nature? Is that the thing? Or is it that you like riding your bike and you like going fast and you like, so he might feel like I feel powerful when I'm riding a dirt bike out, you know, just on the mountains and I'm whatever. There's a lot of different things. And then you say, well, why? Why is that important to you? Why, why do you enjoy that so much? And a lot of things you can get down to, you know, like for me, if I ask that about video games, ultimately the why is what provides me an escape from reality. And when I, when I look at that and I go, is that what I want to build my life on? Like, do I want to build my life on escaping from reality? Like, no, I want to, I want to live in reality. So maybe video games isn't what I want in life, you know? And so same thing with my business. I go, well, why do I want a lifestyle business instead of building a company? As I dug into that, like what I really wanted is I wanted number one, I wanted to, I wanted to provide meaningful results and develop meaningful relationships with people. And as I thought about that, and I thought about me executing out of my home and and having six to ten clients at a time, I'm really limited in the impact I can make in the world. When I thought about building a company and having employees that can manage clients for me and sales guys that can sell clients for me and, you know, instead of managing six to 10 clients managing right now at Disruptive, we have, I think, 350 clients, you know, that is a serious impact in the world. And I believe in the results that we're driving for people. And I believe in, you know, I mentioned my friend, Mark Mabry, we're servicing, I think, like eight different clients that he's referred to us that he's involved with. You know, I wouldn't be able to fulfill for all those clients when I was working out of my home. And so I looked at the impact that I wanted to make and I thought I can make a bigger impact if I take out, you know, advantage of this merger. And then the second piece was I really care about my family. I care about being able to spend meaningful time with my family and being able to be completely emotionally present while I'm there. And when you're running your own business and you're the guy and you're the sales guy and you're the fulfillment guy and you're the QA guy and you're the accounting guy, it's really hard to check out from that because if you check out, no one's running your business. And so I wanted to build a business that could function without me so that I can go and spend quality time with my kids and completely disconnect and be fully present with them. And so, like I said, I would just, that's not necessarily, I'm not saying that everyone should have those same goals as I, as I have. But for me, as I dug in and I asked myself, why do I want this? Why do I want this? Why do I want this? It really helped me to see, you know what? this opportunity is going to help me accomplish those goals better than this other opportunity. Love that. Love that. Love that. And Chris, we're going to leave our listeners with one last thing. You mentioned being able to distinguish between what opportunity is going to leave you with what's fulfillment and what you want. And lots of listeners are business owners and they have websites and they can't get into the weeds of some of this stuff. So where can they find disruptive advertising and where can they reach out to you and, and, and connect with you? Yeah, I would love for people to reach out and connect with any questions or comments. I'm on Twitter, just at Chris Daly. My last name is spelled D-A-Y-L-E-Y. Connect with me on LinkedIn. We also have a starter guide. If anyone is interested in in getting more involved into A-B testing and you either want to try it out yourself or get some help from, you know, from my company, they can go to disruptiveadvertising.com slash guide. And it's a free guide. It has all the tools that you might want to think about, some tests that you might want to consider running, lots of great information. And then if people do want to talk with Disruptive, there's a little box they can check that says I'm interested in speaking with Disruptive Advertising. So I would love to have people reach out. I'd love to hear any questions people have. And I highly recommend getting that guide so you can get an idea of where to get started. Love it. Well, Chris, again, thank you for being on the show. And we've taken away a ton from your message. And there was so much more I wanted to dive into. And hopefully maybe we can get you on for a part two. So we'll talk soon. That'd be great. Thank you. 